This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. In Revelation 3.5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, that's an important subject. It's a big verse. It's complicated. And I will tell you that I cannot be definitive on the absolutes of this verse because in all of my study and all of my research, I have I have I have studied many theologians and commentaries and great Bible preachers and teachers on the subject, and I will tell you, uh, in all of those presentations, they have great presentations on whatever place you line up on this. Um, and so this is not a scripture that uh, makes a person any more saved if you believe it one way uh, than, than another. What I will tell you is this, and I'm, uh, that's why we are going to go through the scriptures that we're going to go through. What we do believe in is life everlasting. We do believe in eternal security. And we believe the scriptures clearly teaches that. And so the, the question that this particular text proposes is not talking about can a person lose their salvation. You will see that as in the detour. But moreover, the question, is the Lamb's book of life the same thing as the book of life? And that's the better presentation of the question. Again, I read the scripture, he that overcometh the same. And if, and if you look at verse number four and verse number five, there is an essence of the white garments in both of those scriptures. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The first aspect that we're talking about in this particular text is not only salvation in itself, but also the assurance of salvation and the eternal security that salvation provides. Those are three massive elements in the doctrine of grace. Now, somebody, and I have encountered it many times, somebody may argue the point, well, salvation is pretty clear and simple. Jesus said you must be born again. And But here's the thing. Not everybody believes the truth of the doctrine of salvation. This is important. It's important you know the truth. I have taught you the truth for almost oh, 40 plus years. And the thing is this. There are many religious entities and denominations that teach all kinds of things 
that surround this important doctrine of salvation. Jehovah's Witness believe that uh, only 144,000 are going to heaven and that uh, you can only, if you are fortunate enough to be a part of the 144,000, then you got to do all kinds of works. Mormons believe basically the same thing. Then there's, then there's the Church of Christ. And the, the Church of Christ, I think probably... I think most people who have been in the Word can clearly see through uh, the heresies and the false teachings of Jehovah's Witness. It's pretty cut and clear um, from that perspective. But when you when you get into some denominations like the Church of Christ, and I'm going to give you a, a, an important uh, thing to contemplate tonight, because the primary premise of the Church of Christ they believe that in order for a person to go to heaven, yes, you have to ask Jesus to be your Savior. We all acknowledge that. However, they also attach to that baptism. Now, we know what the Lord teaches us in the Word, that when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, they need to follow, then step number two is they need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. We know that. But you do not have to be baptized to go to heaven. And uh, I have, uh, my, my debating days are all over, and uh, I, I have debated, as you well know, Jehovah's Witness many times, but I have also encountered many discussions of debate with the Church of Christ as well. The argument that the Church of Christ presents is this that you absolutely have to be baptized to go to heaven. I can remember one day I had a young man in my office that just would not get off of that. And uh, he believed with, with spiritual energy and um, unwilling to look at it from any other different perspective. And so I gave him the real essence of the cross experience. When Jesus was dying on the cross, did he not turn to the thief and say, today thou shalt be with me in paradise? That was, that was when that man embraced grace. That's when the Lord Jesus took him into the fold. Now, did that man get baptized? Could he have been baptized? Absolutely not. And I can remember, I mean, this was years ago when my hair was black. <laughs> and I'm having this discussion with this young man, and I gave him that very scripture and, and, and that presented in the same way I'm telling you tonight. And this is what he said to me. I never have forgot it, and I've used it many times uh, in my sermons I guess, since then. He said the difference was the thief on the cross, he died under the law. And that's verbatim, that's a quote. And I looked at him for a few moments because I felt like that there was something that was going to follow that to substantiate whatever he was trying to say. And it was going nowhere. And I said, well, first of all, if that were true, what does the law have to do with this? 
He said, the man died under the law. And I said, well, here we go. I said, that man did not die under the law. I said, Forget, let's, let's set it aside for the argument just for a moment. If you're telling me, because you have to remember something, that people in the Old Testament, when they were under the law, they were looking to the sacrifice on the cross, believing in faith to be saved, to be counted for righteousness. You and I, since Jesus died on the cross, we look back to what he did. So the people in the Old Testament, what, what difference did it make if he was under the law? But, but he wasn't, and I will tell you why, and I'll tell you the same thing that I told this young man. I said, at the height, the climax of the, of the crucifixion, the Roman centurions were trying to get this whole thing over with because of the Passover. And do you remember the scripture says that they went to each both, each one of the thieves, and the Bible says that they they broke their legs. Do you remember that? And there was a significant reason. Because while hanging on the cross, I teach you so much about this. There, he was uh, While they were hanging on the cross, they nailed their feet to the cross, and they were kind of bent like this. Their hands were like this. And what would happen in intervals? People that were being crucified. And by the way, crucifixion was not the only, Jesus was not the only person to ever be crucified. Crucifixion was a, a way of Roman, a slow Roman death. So they would, on the cross, they would, in intervals, they would push themselves up and they would take a breath. And when they would collapse down, it would cut off of their oxygen but that could go on for hours. And so they would lift themselves up and breathe. Now here's what happened. The Romans knew that. So what they did on the day that Jesus was crucified, two thieves, one on each side, the Bible says they came and they broke the legs of the thieves. The reason why they broke the legs of the thieves because they, they kept pushing themselves up to breathe. It was taking a long time and the Passover was coming, they wanted to get it over with. So what they did was, with whatever object they had, they would swing it in such a way that it would break their legs and they could no longer push themselves up and they would suffocate. But when they got to Jesus, they said, we don't need to do this, he's already dead. Which means this, Jesus died before the thieves died. When Jesus died and gave up the ghost, it changed the dispensation of man where we were in. Before he died, we were in the dispensation of the law. When he died, we came into the dispensation of grace. So, when they came to break the legs, and they had fully intended to break the legs of Jesus as well, but one at a time, they, would, they, they broke the legs of the thieves, but when they got to Jesus, said, no need, he's already dead, which means this. Jesus had died. It changed the dispensation. 
When Jesus died and gave up the ghost, it perpetuated mankind into the dispensation of grace. So the argument that the young man was trying to present to me didn't hold water because these thieves didn't die under the law, even if that was some kind of crazy concoction they were, he was trying, they didn't die under the law. Those thieves died under grace. So the reason why I am enjoying this opportunity to talk about this, because it gives us a, a wonderful experience in the word to really make sure we understand this doctrine of salvation the assurance of salvation, and the eternal security that salvation presents to us. Last week, we talked about the elements of, of grace. We talked about how that the Lord Jesus had to die, and then secondly, he had to shed his blood. And that's where we pick up tonight. I want to listen. I can remember... Uh, many years ago, many years ago, there was a, a man in the church and he was, he was being tormented. He said, and I really believed him. Sometimes people come up with these kooky stories and, and I will say, well, how about that? <laughs> now, isn't that a whole lot better than saying, oh, man, what have you been? <laughs> but, but, but this man, I believe with all my heart, he was tortured by evil demonic spirits. And I asked him, how, how was this encounter happening in your life? What, what was being manifested and so forth? And, and I believe him to be sincere. And he said, and listen, I'm not trying to give you ghost stories before you go to bed tonight, but this is what the man said. He said, I hear these demonic voices speaking to me through my television. And I said, let me tell you something about the blood of Jesus. It's something that, that demons cannot penetrate, that, that demons cannot conquer. At the name of Jesus, even devils flee. But there is no power on earth any greater than the blood of Jesus. So, and I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to open it up and I want you to lay it on top of your television. And I want you to open it to some certain scriptures. And I began to give him every scripture that I felt like would profit his torment that would help him and in, in these vulnerable moments, I'm going to give you them tonight as well. And I said, I want you to lay the scripture on your television, open it up to blood scriptures. And then when you begin to hear these demonic voices speaking to you, I want you to plead the blood, claim the blood of Jesus. I said, and you will be amazed at the difference that it makes in your life. He did, and he said to me that he had overcome this problem in his life. But I'm, I'm, I gave you last week the important, we're talking about now the, the clear doctrine of salvation and how it works, how it's important. We talked about the death of Jesus, but it wasn't just his death. And I mentioned to you, they just could not have come up to him in Gethsemane and put a pillow over his head and suffocated him and that would bring a salvation. No, we would still be lost. 
They, they could not have put poison in his drink in the, in the Last Supper and he died. That would not have given us salvation. He had to shed his blood. And these are the scriptures I gave to you last week, Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed. Now this is a pastoral admonishment to me as a pastor, as a shepherd of the church for you. It says, to feed the church of God, I have a responsibility to do that, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, by the way, that, that passage of scripture really affirms the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, and these three are one. And so when the word says the church of God, which he, God, purchased with his own blood, we know Jesus, the only begotten son of God, who became flesh, who was God in the flesh, shed his blood on the cross. So we have a wonderful doctrine all in Acts 20, 28. But then let me give you some more here. Because if you're tormented by evil thoughts, if, if they dominate your mind and your thought life, and, and you are, are constantly dealing with, with those types of things, believe me, you plead the blood of Jesus. How do you plead the blood of Jesus? You say, Lord Jesus, I claim the blood. I plead the blood. Cover me, protect me with the blood. And then you use these blood scriptures. And according to the word of God, the devil will have to flee. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And in Romans 5, 9, I hope you're writing them down. I have many to give you tonight. Just write them down. You can go back and reread them later. But these are blood scriptures. These are paramount for you. In Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. That's important. All right. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Hebrews 9.12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Now, the blood, the, the blood of goats and calves is talking about the Old Testament sacrifices uh, that the high priest would do uh, on the Day of Atonement and so forth. Uh, it's, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, but neither by, the, the word is making it clear, we're no longer required to offer these animal sacrifices, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place. Now, I could stop here and, and talk about these people that say they get saved every other 4th of July or every other day, every other week. Listen, he went into this place. He died once, and he died once and for all. 
And when you, you are saved, listen, it's not about works. We're not worktified, we are justified. And that's what the word teaches us, into the holy place having obtained eternal, not temporary. You see, if a person could lose their salvation, then what you have is temporary grace. You have a temporary salvation. But there's nothing about a temporary salvation. Salvation until you do this, that, and the other. Salvation until you commit uh, all the, the sins of the world. No. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not temporary life, everlasting life. Okay, having obtained eternal redemption for us, Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 13.12, wherefore Jesus also, now I hope you're writing these down because people ask me this, what we're talking about tonight, questions all the time. Pastor, I'm being tormented by the devil. I'm having this this unbelievable uh, thing going on in my home and my family. And uh, I need some word. I need some scripture. I'm giving you blood scriptures tonight. These, these are imperative for you. Hebrews 13, 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, this right here puts into proper perspective from what the word of God teaches us about where Jesus was crucified. Now, the Catholics predominantly believe that Jesus was crucified inside the city walls, and there is a, a, a monument, a, uh, a place where they go to worship. Uh, it's, it's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I've been in there, and it's like a den of devils. I tell you, I've only been one time. I had no desire to ever, ever, ever go back again. It, to me, it's almost like Yad Vashem, the, the Jewish Holocaust over there. You go in there one time, and you don't want to go see it again. But, but they believe that Jesus was crucified inside the gate. Now, look, he was clearly crucified outside of the city walls, the Bible says they took him to the place of the skull. I've been there many times. And the mountain still exists as it did in the days of Jesus. I've even had the privilege of being on top of Mount Calvary. A very, very rare privilege. But the scripture says clearly here, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Look at this. Suffered without the gate. He suffered outside of the city walls not inside, crucified outside, not inside. That's another lesson altogether. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Look at this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Not just some or for certain, but all sin. And in Revelation 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So we have to understand this thing about salvation. It, it, it wasn't just his death and it wasn't just his blood. By the way, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times to you in the past. A lady came to see me, not a member of our church, several years ago, and uh, she... I do a lot of counseling for people in the community and sometimes here as well, a lot of that. 
And she was going through a situation of, of domestic abuse. And she began to present me her story, her dilemma, and, and I interrupted all that. And I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? And she said, oh, yes, I am. And even, even when we, we hire people on our faculty, when, whenever we're talking to people about coming into leadership positions, serving positions of our church, I, I talk to them. I have somebody to talk to them about their salvation experience. And I asked this lady, tell me your salvation experience. And this is what she said. And this is what a lot of people believe. This is why we have to be straight on salvation. She said, oh, I remember clear as day. One day I was watching the 700 Club on TV. And I just got this warm feeling all over me. And Pat Robertson asked me to put my hand on the television. And when I did, I was never the same. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not salvation. You can put your hands on two TVs at one time. You can put your foot in an electrical socket. You, you can do all you want to do, but that's not grace. That's not grace. But so don't assume that people are always straight on salvation. Ask them. Tell me about your salvation experience. And in the first 30 seconds, you can tell what's going on with this person. Okay, so it wasn't just his death. It wasn't just his blood, although they are necessary. But salvation was completed with the resurrection. A crucifixion without a resurrection, we still die and go to hell. Okay, there could not be any salvation without the resurrection. In Acts 2.24, the word says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In John 11, I'm giving you resurrection scriptures. Listen, I've given you scriptures of his death. I've given you scriptures of the blood atonement. And I'm giving you scriptures of the resurrection. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Romans 1, 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is very important in the doctrine of salvation in itself. So what have we learned? Through that, through this doctrine of, of, of salvation, we have learned that Jesus is the only way. You hear me say it all the time. He's not a better way, another way, a new way. He is the only way. And you heard me say in this presentation that salvation is for everyone. Not just a certain people. God did not predestinate, and that word in the scriptures talking about the foreknowledge of God. Is God, does God have foreknowledge? Yes, he does. 
Does he know who's going to die and go to heaven? Yes, he does. Does he know who's going to die and go to hell? Yes, he does. But God is not playing any, meeny, miny, mo with immortal souls. He's not saying, okay, all right, you guys can, you, you three cannot. He's not doing that. He's, he's, that's not how it works. So we, we know that the scripture teaches us because of the most simplest verse in the, in the scripture, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth, he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever, whosoever, it means all of us, believeth in him should not perish. All right, Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say come, and let him that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. All right, so, we have learned that Jesus is the only way. Salvation is for everybody. We've learned that we cannot do anything to obtain our salvation. We, we've learned in this part of the detour, Revelation 3, 5, what makes salvation possible. His death, the shedding of his blood, and his resurrection. And so when you stop and think about that, I guess the, the next question would be this, okay? Having, having known all of that, then how does somebody receive salvation? And John 1, 12 and 13, the scripture says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay. How do, how do you receive him? You receive him by believing that he is truly the only begotten son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah. There is no other way to be saved. A lot of people believe with their head and they will die and go to hell. We're not saved by head knowledge. We are saved by heart knowledge and two different things altogether. In fact, I want you to look at these scriptures in John 3, 16, and, and let me take it farther to verse 17 and verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God, look at this, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 36, excuse me. <coughs> he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let me give you John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In Acts 16, verse 31, the Bible says, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. In Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart, that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And there has to be real conviction. Let me give you a quick reminder of Scripture. You remember when Simon the sorcerer was seeing the mighty miracles that were being done by the apostles? And he said, man, he said, I believe that. He said, give it to me. He said, what does it cost? How can I do this? How can I go back and and demonstrate these powers of the Holy Spirit? He was immediately condemned because what he wanted to do, it was all all in his head. He, He was thinking, how could he profit off of the Holy Spirit? People can say one thing and not believe it with their heart. And so... We have to believe on the Lord Jesus with our heart. There has to be conviction, but there has to be sincere repentance. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so this is the long way around Revelation 3, 5. I want to reread that verse because we're out of time. Next week, I'm going to go back to that scripture and again, break this down for you because there's so much to see here. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Is the book of life the same thing as the Lamb's book of life? Again, I tell you that there are many wonderful, wonderful people that I love compassionately that believe a certain way and I I have no stones to throw. I'm not 100% clear on that as far as who is right, what camp is right, because it doesn't matter what position you take on that verse of Scripture. You cannot be unsaved when you are saved. That's clear. And I'm going to show you that in the scripture. So you have a clear understanding of salvation. I'm going to give you uh, the the best of my knowledge on that subject here about what does this mean? And scriptures on the assurance of salvation. How can you be sure that you're saved? And uh, because we know the devil will play with your mind. Let me ask you this in closing tonight. Since the time you knew you were saved, has the devil ever come to you to try to make you think you were not? And he will do it. He will do it over and over and over again because, listen, he is the author of confusion, not God. He thrives on confusion. So if the devil has ever tried to make you think that you weren't saved, Believe me, it won't be the only time he's done that. He will do it over and over again. Okay, so what we've learned tonight is the three major components of salvation. His death, the shedding of his blood, and his resurrection. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.